Mac Power Users, episode 563, Mac OS Big Sur. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? I am excited. We got a new operating system for the Mac, and we are going to talk about it today. Yeah, New and shiny. It is new and shiny. Very shiny in places. Yeah, we do this uh, every year because Apple's on this cadence, and just like clockwork, we have another version. Uh, But as we get into it, this is a a big year for Mac software, right? Big Sur is a, there's no way around it. It's a big deal. And I think that it's definitely going to go down as one of the the biggest moves forward in macOS that we've seen in, in quite a while. Well, I think, you know, in the future, we will all remember 2020 for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But one of the good things about 2020 to me feels like this is the year that the Mac got, you know, a second wind. Yeah. You know, between what we talked about last week with the new Apple Silicon and the new, you know, look of Big Sur, which is good and bad. I mean, we, we've got a lot of things we like and a few things we don't. And I just think that people are going to look back on this year as, you know, nobody's talking now about how Apple's abandoning the Mac right now, right? Mm-mm. That was <laughs> true a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, and the, you know, they even started the year with things like the Mac Pro shipping. Like, they've really been on their their game with the Mac. And I think you're totally right. That that story that was around, you know, two, three, four years ago about that, that hey, the Mac feels forgotten a little bit. I think that's squarely in the past, you know. But on the other side, Apple has opened a lot of new chapters this year with yeah. the Mac. They still have to deliver on Apple Silicon across the rest of the line. They still have to deliver on all these software changes. And so they've they've put a lot more on the plate in some ways, yeah. but I like we said last week, it's a good time to be a computer nerd. I'm excited, and it's gonna be um, yeah, it's gonna be a momentous year for sure to look back on. Checks are written, but not yet cashed in a lot of ways. Um, one thing that is about to get cashed though is both you and I are receiving our new MacBook Air with Apple Silicon as we record this tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. But as you listen to it later in the show, we, we're going to save the last <laughs> segment that we'll record after we get some initial impressions with the new Apple Silicon MacBook Airs. So mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the show, Steve and I are going to have some stuff to share about that. This show will probably go long as I'm sitting here at the yeah. beginning. There's a lot in the outline. Yeah, this Google Doc is real long today. <laughs> yeah, We have a lot to talk about with the operating system, and I think it's all worth keeping in. But we're also going to add in a segment at the end about the new Apple yeah. Silicon Mac. So. Strap in, gang. It's time to get nerdy on Macs. Mm-hmm. Starting with which Macs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's start with the, uh, you know, kind of pre-install stuff. Uh, that's a good place to begin. Big Sur does change the system requirements for uh, for Mac OS, right? So they've dropped a few older machines. And so you have to have a 2015 or newer MacBook. So that's any of the now discontinued one port MacBooks. Any of those will work. Yeah. You have to have a MacBook Air that's 2013 or newer. You have to have a MacBook Pro that's late 2013 
or newer. So I think that's I think they've dropped some 2012 models in there. Uh, the Mac Mini's got to be 2014 or newer. Same with the iMac, 2014 or newer. So the iMac uh, dropped some models too. The 2013s are now gone. Uh, the iMac Pro, of course, there's just one of them. And then the Mac Pro from 2013 or the current Mac Pro. Uh, so they've, they've dropped a few machines here and there. Uh, I will say that, you know, if your machine now has been dropped and you can run Catalina, but you cannot run Big Sur, it doesn't mean you have to run out and replace it with something. You'll get security updates for two more years. Uh, Apple's been very good about that. You'll get, as we we're talking about, we're talking about Safari 14 today. Safari versions generally go back to OSs. And so for the next couple of years, I think you'll be okay. You'll still get those critical updates. You just won't get new features. And so just because a machine falls out of system requirements doesn't mean that its useful life is over. And you're just kind of on notice at this point that you may yep. want to start thinking about you know, getting an update. And it's a great time to be thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, well so. my, wife, my wife's computer is now just dropping out of updates because it's a 2010 a MacBook yeah, Pro, right? And uh, so we are I actually. I don't know if I mentioned on the show. I bought two iPad uh, MacBook Airs. You know, she got the gold one. She she's just mm-hmm. replacing her her aging computer. It's going to mm-hmm. be like jumping on a rocket ship for her. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the uh, but we ran that one right up until the end of the updates, and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, and it, it's worked fine. She she didn't yeah. care about you know getting into Catalina. Mm-hmm. What finish did you get? She you said she got gold. I got space gray. Um, Oh man, silver is always the right answer. Yeah, I know. I, I think a lot of people do like the silver one. For so long, I had silver MacBooks. I, sure, I still kind of like the idea of something different. And my iMac, yeah. my iMac Pro that I love so very much is space gray. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice. It's like it's a little brother, you know. So okay, well, you got a theme the, going. Yeah, it's part of a unit kind of thing. I can go um, with that. I am thinking about stickering it. I know that you don't like that, but Mm-mm. I don't know. I, I may. I'm okay with one well-chosen, perfectly centered sticker. So I've got a St. Jude sticker on my MacBook Pro, and I have a NASA sticker on the back of my iPad smart keyboard, magic keyboard. Yeah. But you can't do the overlapping banana stuff. So you have like one good Rebel Alliance sticker, center that thing up with a ruler and slap it on there, man. I was thinking about that. You know, the problem is I go meet business clients and I don't know, but I haven't done mm-hmm. that in six yeah. months. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I borrowed my daughter's computer. Um, there you go. As always with these updates, you want to make sure of a couple of things. You 100% want a backup. So run that time machine drive. If you're running Backblaze or something, make sure that's up to date. If you can make a bootable backup with something like Carbon Copy Cloner or Super Duper, do that. Things can go wrong. And you may be in a state where, you know, I mean, it's rare, but you may be in a state where you've got to do something uh, big and scary to your machine. And so you always want to make sure that your data is backed up. And let all me the add time. on to that. Let me add on to that. Because, and I've said this advice probably once a year for 10 years on this show. But if you can swing an extra backup drive, in addition to whatever you always do for backup, just make one carbon copy cloner or super duper clone of your drive and stick it in a drawer. Every time you do these uh, system updates, um, you just keep it and you know, you've got a little, you know, frozen version of what you had in Catalina mm-hmm. 
in case you find later that you have to rewind it or just something got lost in the mix. It doesn't hurt. And then after, you know, you can go ahead and write over it again after three or four months. Um, or you could just keep it in your drawer for a year until next year and use it again for the same reason. But um, drives are not that expensive. And having one extra copy of that data whenever you make a big move is never a bad idea. That's right. And the holidays are coming up. So, you know, ask if you can't swing it, uh, ask for it as an early Christmas gift. We have that going on in my house right now. Uh, oh, really? Our daughter really wants a bunk bed, not like a bunk bed, but like a loft bed so she can gotcha. like make a reading nook under it. And she's yeah. lobbying hard for an early Christmas present. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. You're going to put a fire pole on it? You know, let her slide down? <laughs> well, we were looking at them online last night, uh, my wife and I, and of course, you know, you're just looking at loft beds, right? And it's hard. Some of them are for like real little kids. She's 10. So she yeah. doesn't need a slide or one that looks like a fortress. Yeah. But it was, uh, it's pretty funny. I built one years ago for my kids. And um, the thing, the mistake I made was uh, I made the ladder vertical as opposed to angled. And mm-hmm. it's actually quite a bit of work for kids to climb a vertical, straight vertical ladder. That's that's good advice. Yeah. So okay. be be warned. Get Get an angled ladder. <laughs> Okay, that's good. That's good advice because we, my brother had a bunk bed. He's younger than me. Yeah. But by the time he got one, like we had separate bedrooms. We didn't need to share. And I was kind of like the age, I was probably like 13, right? Yeah. Like I was like too cool to hang out with my younger brother. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I didn't get to spend a lot of time in bunk bed land, but that's good. That's good to know. I, I saw my, I remember, I'll never forget uh, the image of my daughter who's now in college, but she was like very little <laughs> climbing up this vertical ladder. And she had her doll, she was holding it with her teeth. <laughs> She's climbing up the ladder, like something out of Lord of the Flies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> enough of that. Uh, so okay. the support, I. so what are your thoughts? I mean, why do they end up, you know, taking old computers out of the mix? And, you know, how are they doing in terms of supporting old hardware at this point? I mean, I would imagine that it's it's a performance issue or maybe some sort of underlying technology issue that there may be something about the processors or the video cards in those particular machines that they they can't bring forward for whatever reason. But I mean, looking at these numbers, okay, it's it's effectively 2021 and we got six weeks to go. You're talking about on the MacBook, you know, machines that are five to six years old, but on the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, seven years old, eight years old. I mean, yeah. they do a, a really good job at this. And I've I've written about this before. You can actually pretty easily get into a state where you're running the newest version of Mac OS, but you can't get hardware support from Apple because it's after the five years where they cut it off in most areas. California is different. Some other countries are different, but generally it's five years. Uh, and I think it's great because all of these machines, you know, let's say you have something with a spinning hard drive in it, they've got so much, um, so much power from day one that they all age pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't have experience running Big Sur on a machine from 2013. I, I had plans to do like this huge review on the blog and it sort of just fell apart on me, but I don't think Apple very often pushes software requirements unless they really feel like they have to. And so I think you would be fine. Yeah. Now, so we're going to have supporting hardware. We're going to have a backup. We need anything else, Stephen? 
Um, I think that you need to make sure that any mission critical software in your workflow is ready. So for me and, and for you, it's a lot of audio and video stuff and not all of those tools that I use are ready for Big Sur. So I'm not going to Big Sur on my production machine, right? My Mac Pro will stay on Catalina for quite a while. But thankfully, this isn't as disruptive as it was last year. Remember when we were talking on the Catalina show last year, we had this huge section about 32-bit apps are gone. You need to really make sure, you know, go through there. There was an app to check them. Make sure that all your software is 64-bit. And they did that in advance of this. And now this year, it just means that it's sort of back to the normal level of compatibility brokenness. And look, if you're using a machine for home and office use and you're not really using anything unusual and all your software is up to date, you're probably fine, but it's worth, it's worth an afternoon, you know, kind of looking around, making sure your stuff is all up to date. But if you're making money on your Mac, uh, especially with more unique software, definitely make sure that you're ready to go or you could be in trouble. And, and you know, it's funny, you get gotchas every time you go through this process I just got an email from a listener who bought the same printer I have. I have a, a setup page on my website. And he's like, hey, my printer stopped working with Big Sur. And I went and looked it up, and Brother, the manufacturer, says they're not going to support it. And hmm. I I looked on my Catalina machine this morning, and sure enough, the printer's dropped off the radar. And I haven't, I've got to get to the bottom of it. Maybe there's a third party driver or something I can use. But it's like stuff like that does happen when you do these updates. So, yeah, you can do all the homework you want, and you still may find your printer doesn't work anymore, and that's a real bummer for me. If the you know it's like a printer that's perfectly good but stopped working because the the developer stopped supporting the software. Yeah, I hate that stuff. Yeah, um, but in my use, I've been running Big Sur on my 16 inch MacBook Pro basically all summer. I rode I rolled back to Catalina for the podcastathon and put Big Sur right back on it. Everything other than my audio production stuff has been pretty good on Big Sur. I mean, there's definitely some, you know, hit or miss stuff early on, but you need to take some time and make sure that your software is all going to be compatible because if it's not rolling back basically means, uh, unless you made one of those bootable backups, uh, pretty difficult. And so it's worth the time investment on the front end. Yeah. And I would echo you. I think in general, Big Sur has been fine it's been less um aggravating than catalina was yeah. because of that 32 to 64 bit transition we had last year um but overall it seems to be working fine and uh you know it seems to me like the the changes this year are much more to the paint job than to the engine yeah so uh let's take a break and then come back and talk about the design this episode of mac power users is brought to you by one password Go to onepassword.com slash MPU, MPU in all caps. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial and get 20% off after that. OnePassword is the tool that I use to keep my passwords not only with me on all my devices, because of course OnePassword runs on basically anything, but also to make sure that they are strong, unique, and that they stay that way. You have these issues out on the web where a website or database is, is breached somewhere and it's it's impossible to keep up with that. But 1Password does and they have this really, really cool feature called Watchtower. 
So you can go into Watchtower and it's broken up into categories. You can see websites that were compromised. You can see passwords that maybe you reused. You know, I'm sure a bunch of people did the same thing I did. Before one password, I reused passwords a lot. And I can go through there, through the Watchtower interface and update all of those. It shows you weak passwords, websites that have added two-factor authentication, but you're not using it in one password. It's a great way to know that your passwords continue to stay safe and secure. One password has your back. You can set up one passwords with families or coworkers through Teams. This lets you create vaults with the people in your life to share logins, share bank account information, whatever you need to do. But of course, you get great control over who sees what. It's fantastic. I use it both at work and at home. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. That's onepassword.com slash MPU. All right, Stephen, I think I would make the argument that this is the most dramatic visual change in macOS in a single year, probably since the beginning of macOS. You know, I think I agree with that. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, Leopard made things more uniform. And then we had, what was it, Yosemite that brought the flat design. Yeah. But this is radically different because things like title bars and sidebars and sounds, everything has been touched. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember using the Mac back in the 80s, you know, and we did get updates to the operating system, but nothing ever really changed the the basic interface much. And I feel like at the beginning of Mac OS 10, it was like they were experimenting for several years. I remember the, you know, the the real Chrome years, and then we had the years with the with all the vertical lines drawn. And mm-hmm. like they had some like changes, but nothing felt as dramatic as the first time I booted this up. I'm like, wow, this looks like a different operating system to a lot of yeah. ways. And if you're not familiar with the the background of where Mac, Mac OS 10, Mac OS uh, has been, um, I've got this really cool resource in 512 Pixels called the Mac OS Screenshot Library. It used to be called the Aqua Screenshot Library, but John Gruber convinced me to change the name. Um, so I'll have links in the show notes to that, which includes uh, Big Sur. I launched that uh, that page just, uh, just yesterday as we were recording. So you can uh, go through there and uh, really see what this looks like if you're not running it yet. Yeah, but I mean, it just it's it is significantly different. And like looking through your old shots, I just don't think there's ever been a year on the Mac where we had such a big change. And um, mm-hmm. and so that's obviously going to be exciting for users, but it's also going to be make some people cranky. And I think that's kind of like a little bit of a thing overhanging this whole change this year. I think that's totally fair. It is it is going to be subjective to everyone, right? And there's parts of it that I like, there's parts of it that I don't like. I think that's where most people will fall. But no doubt it is a huge, huge shift. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that came back to the operating system is the starting chime. Yeah, the the startup chime is back. You could turn it on in Catalina and those versions that lacked it. 
but uh, it's back for good now. It's slightly tweaked. It's a little bit deeper, I think, um, and it can be disabled in the sound system preference pane. So if you don't want it for whatever reason, you know there was a there was a like a meme joke going around in the like two thousands of people in a library and someone started up a power book and the startup sound lasted like 15 seconds, you know, it was like, yeah. And it's like kept going and going and going. And everyone at the library was upset. Uh, if that's, if you, if that's you, if you have that concern, uh, you can disable it, but I leave it on. Yeah. Or if you just don't have a heart, you can also turn it off if you don't. That's true too. Um, <laughs> the, uh, although I would have to say, I, I was impressed your, your, uh, rendition of the bong sound was almost on pitch so i feel like there were you ever a singer steven i mean i feel like oh, me. gosh no i feel like there's something there um okay so you get the startup chime that's great so immediately you know something's different and then um the new look and feel of the operating overall so let's do our best on an audio podcast of kind of summarizing some of that <laughs> yeah yeah go look at my screenshots it'll be a helpful thing um i think uh the the best place to start is that most materials, so things that create window chrome, uh, the design of the menus, the dock, almost all of that is basically just white now. If you're in light mode and if you're in dark mode, it's sort of that dark, kind of dark, muddy, gray, brown color they use in dark mode. Yeah. And so everything is extremely flat and extremely modern. It looks, do you remember after the days after Iowa seven, a lot of people, including myself thought, well, what would Iowa seven look like if it basically was pasted onto the Mac design? Yeah, they didn't, they did. They didn't do that in the sense that it was that lazy, but it was in the sense of if the Mac were to look more like iOS, this is where you would end up. Is that fair? Do you think? No, I I totally do. And I think this is, you know, the narrative a few years ago when everybody thought the Mac was going to die was that it's going to be subsumed by the iOS operating system. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. the, Apple's going to stop making Mac OS and it's going to be a one operating system company. And what they did was they have reaffirmed Mac OS. I mean, with all the changes they've made and the stuff we talked about last week, but they have brought the visual language of iOS to Mac. There, There is no doubt there is a massive influence going from iPad and iPhone toward Mac in terms of the visual language of the operating system. Hmm. That's the way I see it. And, and yeah. I, th- I think what they want is for users, uh, particularly users who don't listen to Mac power users, I think, is to feel comfortable uh, using a Mac, an iPad, and an iPhone and feel like they're still in the same ecosystem. Yes, I think that's it. I think it's people who maybe have used an iPhone for a long time and they move to the Mac. The Mac was really different. And I think to uh, to a point in a way that was confusing. And And now they look much more the same. And that's a big deal if you think about the M1 Macs that like we spoke about last week that are going to be running iOS apps. Those iOS apps will look and feel more like home. Um, things as, as simple, but really as radical as Apple's SF symbols collection. It's their collection of icons. So if you open mail, all those little icons at the bottom, those are all SF symbols. Uh, Apple has developed those over the last couple of years. Well, they've been on iOS, but they haven't been on the Mac. In fact, the Mac has always, has used forever, basically custom icons everywhere. 
And now in most of Apple's own applications, you see those, you know, now very similar icons. And so you see in Mail and you see in Safari and in Finder icons that most of the time are exactly like what's on iOS or are of the same family. And I think that is, it's a little thing, um, but it definitely makes the Mac feel more familiar in a way that a lot of people will like. Yeah. And, and the other big change is these rounded rectangles. I mean, that's the thing that stands out to you the most, frankly, when you first boot it up is everything is rounded rectangle. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to have, I mean, as of tomorrow, you and I are going to have Macs in our homes that can run iPhone and iPad apps. And it'd be, look really weird to have a Catalina-style Mac window next to an iOS app because they're, they're going to look very different. So I think this was an attempt to kind of make the experience look more uniform. Yeah, and there's been conjecture that maybe Apple would round the corners of a Mac display. They haven't gone that far yet, and I'm not sure that they will. But it it does, again, bring things closer together. And I, for one, like the rounded rect look. I like the the bigger corner radiuses on on the windows. I think it looks modern and and kind of playful in a way that I honestly didn't expect when they announced it. Uh, I, I would totally uh, I'm on the side that they're absolutely going to release new Mac hardware. Um, at least laptop hardware in the future, and probably iMacs too that have rounded rectangle screens. I think that think is. So. Oh yeah, it just how can you not with all the steps they've taken? Yeah, I mean they've got the technology to do it right uh, because yeah. they they ship well they shipped iPhones and now they ship an iPad Air and iPad Pro with rounded corner LCDs so yeah. that they have the uh, they definitely have the technology. It's slightly inefficient with space. You know, you've got all the, everything has a little rounded corner. So like because of computer precision, like when you have left screen and right screen, you're used to them taking the entire full screen. And right. now you see this little tiny sliver of daylight behind the window. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that you know, it's just something we just have to get used to. But yeah, it's a, I think so. uh, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. And like you, I don't really have a big problem with it. I know that that is an issue that has some people really exercised is like, why did they do that? You know, they don't like the way it looks. And I'll tell you, I, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, another thing that has been kind of pushed into uniformity with iOS are app icons. With Yosemite, they sort of said, okay, there's like three or four basic shapes. There's Round recs, their circles, you know, there are a couple of different categories your app icon could fit in. And a lot of developers conformed to that, but a lot didn't. I mean, I'm looking at my dock right now and, you know, Audio Hijack looks like a bottle and Mars Edit is a rocket ship going over a planet. And, uh, you know, Devon Think is a shell. They all look, uh, those all stand out. And then a lot of others kind of conformed to the new design. With Big Sur, they're really pushing everybody to round rect icons that look like iOS icons. Apple's done this across all of their own applications, including on Catalina. So like Logic updated and now Logic looks like, you know, the Big Sur icon is on my Catalina machine. Well, I don't necessarily love the uniformity. They did do work to maintain the Macness of Mac icons. So they're still encouraging people and in fact in their own applications doing a lot to 
keep the realism, right? So a lot of apples, maybe a round rect of a sheet of paper, but then there's a pen that breaks beyond the round rect. And if you look in the screenshot library, there's a lot that have applications and utility folders there. You can see them. Not all of Apple's icons are good, but they do seem willing to break out of the round rect to put a physical object in the icon. And that's just the way Mac icons have always been. So there's definitely some nod to heritage there that I think is is good. Hey, we were talking about the round rectangles on Windows, and I, I think I kind of like it, and it's growing on me. The icons, now that I've been using it two or three months, you know, so I've had a chance to get used to it, and it is still not growing on me. I just don't like it, you know. Um, but this is, I guess, it's personal opinion. You know, I, I yeah. liked... I liked the, you know, just the fun of Mac icons before. And you, you could tell a lot of developers spent a lot of time and money coming mm-hmm. up with truly unique icons. Um, as a user also, it's like there is a shape level recognition. I mean, there's lots of ways that the human brain can process things. And for me, I, I do think that the shapes are one way I was processing. Yes. And I, I noticed like now that I've got three different, round rectangles with something blue inside of them that's harder for me to hit the right one mm-hmm. or it just takes an instant longer for me to recognize which is the blue rectangle that i wanted to be in whereas before yeah. like safari you know looked different than mail and um and so now it you know that i feel like there's an extra degree of difficulty and i'm not trying to dramatize this i mean it's not that much more difficult but it, it is a little more difficult and this is one area where I, I kind of prefer the older system, I think. Mm-hmm. I do too. And it's it's for the reason you stated exactly. It's that the shape recognition for the most part is gone. And it's again, it's not like you're staring at your dock for like 10 seconds, like where to mail go, where to mail go. Uh, but that sort of out of the corner of your eye while you're really looking at something else, I've lost that ability in Big Sur. Something I would like to see is, you know, will app developers find ways to continue to bring that delight to their icons within this constraint? And, you know, maybe they will. I don't know. We'll we'll know in a year. But yeah, this will take time. If I was an app developer, honestly, I'd be very tempted to not comply with this because an Apple's Mm -hmm. not making you. I mean, you can still sell an app even through the (laughs) app store. With not a rounded rectangle. Right. It's not like uh, they take your icon and drop it on a round rect for you, right? Do you, like in the old versions of iOS, they would do like the glossy reflection yeah. across your icon. They're not doing that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's true. In iOS development, they put your icon in a round rectangle. I mean, you don't have yeah. a choice. Um, yep. That's not the case on the Mac. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see. One thing I really honestly love in the Big Sur UI is the use of accent and highlight colors. There's a blog post in the show notes I wrote about this, but in cattle in um, Mojave, we got dark mode, right? And with that, we got accent colors. And so you could say, well, I want my drop-down menus and my controls to all be orange or yellow or pink. There's like eight or nine different options. And it meant that, you know, like, you could customize the Mac interface a lot more than you could previous years. So my wife runs her MacBook Air in dark mode with the green accent color. And so all of her buttons and stuff are green. Her background is a forest. Like she likes that aesthetic, right? I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really nice uh, way to customize the Mac. This year they've taken it further and they added an accent color and a highlight color that 
allows each app to set their own color. And so, for instance, on my wife's machine, all the buttons and all the apps are green, right? The Aqua style, like UI buttons, they're all green. But in Big Sur, if you set this up and it's the default on a new install, it lets the app choose. And so I have a bunch of screenshots here where Finder is blue. So the if I click on a folder, the highlight is blue, the sidebar is blue, but music is red and podcast is purple and you know notes is yellow and calendar is like this weird red-orange color. And I love that each app can, if the developer decides, have its own personality. And in a way it makes, okay, if I see this window, I know who it belongs to because the color matches up with something else. I just, I really like this. Yeah, it's just the exact opposite of the problem with the shapes and the icons. It's now you've got like one more visual way to know that I'm in a notes window versus a Safari window. Mm-hmm. And that's great. I and and it's set on by default, so you don't have to change anything. You just get it automatically. If you're like Mary though, and you still want green everywhere, you can override it in yep. the in the system setting preference. But yeah. I think this is good, and I really hope third party developers like pick up on it. Yeah, and I think this is something Apple learned from iOS because if I think about the apps on my home screen a lot of them I do associate with a color, right? So Overcast is that orange color, and that's what he uses in a lot of uh, his UI. And and Apple uses it in podcast, right? Podcast is purple. Like, this has been going on in iOS, and now to bring it to the Mac, I think is great. And it's it's playful and fun. If you don't want it, like, you can set it. You can put your whole thing in graphite, so everything is, is, uh, you know, professional and uptight. That's how I used to run my Mac. But... Now, with these accent colors, I love this setting, and I, I've left it on on my MacBook Pro all summer because it just, it breathes a little life into the UI that, in a lot of ways, has become a lot more sterile. This is like a real injection of fun. I totally agree, and uh, it's a win. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they've also kind of changed the architecture of Windows, which is kind of a big change for Mac OS. I mean, this year is really a, a big change. And there's a couple things that have changed. The one that stands out to me the most is the sidebar. You know, the new sidebar goes top to bottom. Yes. Yeah. So in the past, if you open something like mail, the title bar with all your buttons and the stoplight controls and the title of your mailbox, that went all the way left to right. And then the sidebar and the content was all below that, right? If you think about sort of the structure of the window. And now the sidebar goes all the way to the top, like it does in some modern iPad apps that use the new sidebar convention. This this looks like that. It It is a little weird at first because it, it sort of breaks the idea that the title bar contains the window, which is a very old school, classic Mac OS kind of feeling, right? Down to the point where they had window shade, where the whole window would roll up into the title bar. But it looks modern. And you get a little bit more room in your sidebars. So if you're like me and you have a bunch of mail folders, you can see a little bit more of them. And you can you can change the size of the sidebar and the accent colors all there and everything else. Um, definitely more modern feeling. And I think it will help those iOS apps on the Apple Silicon Macs, again, feel more at home. Yeah, I mean, when you put an iPad app next to a Mac app, they aren't going to look that different with this change. Because they, if they're built using the latest and greatest, they're going to look very similar. Um, they also, the title bar also got bigger, which is 
kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's um, taller, but it's also pulling a lot more weight. So it's it's got to now keep all the buttons, but the title is in there now in line. And so things have been shuffled around uh, quite a bit uh, in the in the title bars and in Finder, at least uh, that has led to some uh, some controversy, right, with the proxy icons. Yeah, I, I mean, I I wrote about this at Max Barkey. I, I'm just um I'm I'm a big fan of proxy icons, and um I got a bunch of people writing me after I posted that saying they didn't even know this existed. <laughs> so I guess it's not that used as much as I thought. But basically, in most windows, and this is true in Word and Pages documents just as much as the Finder, there's a little icon. Be up until Big Sur, there's always a little icon at the very top of the window representing the file type that you were working on in pages it was a pages icon and finder it was a files icon but that was actionable so you could drag a copy of that out like one of the things i would do very often is if i'm working on a word document and i want to fork it you know for uh for change tracking or whatever mm-hmm. i would just drag that proxy icon to the desktop and hold down the uh, was it the command key to make a copy of it on my desktop and then i essentially made it was a very fast way to, to work. And when I started using Big Sur, I noticed that the proxy icon was gone, which got which made me very sad, right? Because I use yeah. it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly over the beta, it started coming back. A lot of the, um, apparently the way the apps are written, you can get around this. Like I just spoke with the gang over at FlexiBits and they did this with Fantastical. But um, you can the developer can force them back, but the default behavior is to hide it. So it's not gone. You just don't see it. And the way you make it appear is you either take the mouse and let it hover right where the proxy icon would be. And who would know to do that, right? Yeah. And then you're waiting on the animation, right? It's like, oh, will it show up? I don't know. And then waiting, even though it's just like a maybe a second or two, it feels like you're waiting an hour because that's something mm-hmm. that you never had to wait for before. And then they've they've added, I think halfway through the beta, they added the feature where if you just put hold down the shift key and move the mouse into the vicinity of the proxy icon, it shows up immediately, which is which is nice. But once again, who is going to discover that? Um, yeah. So this is something I don't like about Big Sur. I, I wish, I, I guess, I know I understand they're space constrained in that title bar. But this is removing a useful function, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just not sure that was the right decision. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. They're super useful. And even though it's a nerdy feature, because it was out in the open, it was discoverable, right? People would click on it and realize that it could do all of these things, right? In Finder or in Mail, the search icon... Or the search box is just an icon if the window is narrow enough. And then you can either click on the search box and it sort of expands out or you make the window wider and it expands out. And, you know, I think search is used probably a lot more than the proxy icon. But again, it's it's a feature being hidden to support this new design. And I'm just not sure how I feel about that ordering of priorities. The, uh, the other thing that's kind of weird, in fact, I'm just going to mention this now because it's like a another like something you have to discover in Apple mail, the search no, no longer defaults to searching all mailboxes. You have to go and physically click it. So yes, 
Hey, while we're talking about search, don't if you if you're used to searching Apple Mail, your searches are going to seem like they're not finding anything. You actually have to go over into the new expanded sidebar and click all mailboxes after you type in your search term. I'm, it took me a while to figure that out. I was like, why is mail broken? <laughs> I submitted a bug report on it, and um, uh, I don't know if it's intentional or bug. I haven't heard anything back on my bug report, but maybe mm-hmm. that's intentional. But if it is, it's a mistake in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the last thing sort of in the general design, and uh, we're going to get into some more nitty gritty here in a minute, is that sheets and alerts. So if you're in text edit and you hit command S and you need to save your document for the first time, or an app needs to give you some sort of warning about something, you're going to close a document, you haven't saved it. From the beginning, to your point earlier in the show, this may be the biggest change in macOS's history. Those would uh, come in from the top of the window and they would be fixed to the title bar. So you could move the window around and you knew where it went. Uh, they are still, they're still married in big Sur, but they now pop open centered in the window and the window itself goes a little bit darker. And if it's an alert, like an error message, the text is centered, which I find really hard to read if the message is long. Now, maybe Apple's sending the message of, hey, <laughs> if you have an alert box, don't put a paragraph in it. But sometimes you need a paragraph in it. And I don't mind the visual change of it being centered in the window. Again, it looks very modern and clean. But I think the alerts in particular with them having that center text, I think that's a, a, a legibility issue. Yeah, I, that's something that I thought would get fixed somewhere along the beta process, and it just didn't. So, again, I, I guess as users, we should probably let our opinions be known. But I, I like you. I don't think the center text looks good if it's more than two or three words. Yeah. And you get used to it. You get you get used to all this stuff. But that one in particular, like some stuff we're going to talk about in a minute, when you have a legibility issue, I think it's... That's a different thing than, oh, should we see the proxy icon? Like, yes, I want it as a power user, but, you know, okay, I can I can find it still. But when you're talking about something that makes it harder to read and digest information, that feels like a miss. Yeah. I do have, like, a lot of, like, little criticisms like this about Big Sur, but it's also, I think overall, I kind of like the look of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's a kind of, my thoughts are confused. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU and get a free $75 credit to boost your job post. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and businesses across the globe are being challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account anytime and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 
73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com MPU. This is their best offer available anywhere, so go right now and check it out at Indeed.com MPU. This offer is valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Let's talk about the menu bar. Yeah. I have thoughts. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts okay. about this. All right, let's start kind of at the 20,000 foot view. Just kind of summarize what's changed because it is quite a bit different now. Yeah. So the, the menu bar itself is much more transparent than we've had in the past. And it, it has a bit of vibrancy. Vibrancy is a technology that came with Yosemite and iOS 7 where a window material will pick up the color behind it and sort of blend that color in like a pleasing way, right? So that's been on the Mac and iOS for a long time. There's a little bit of vibrancy in the in the, the menu bar, but, but it is more uh, transparent. Um, the menus themselves are less transparent than the menu bar. So it's, that's a little bit jarring. Um, and it, and it contains control center, which is new to the Mac. And I kind of lump notification center as like part of the menu bar. Cause that's how you get to it. Um, but it's a big change to something that is, you know, <laughs> the top of every Mac screen on the planet. Yeah. I mean, it's a different look, different tools. And then the other thing, other big change is spacing. The spacing has changed quite a bit. It has. There's a lot more breathing room between uh, between icons. They've tightened that up in the in the betas this summer. Uh, looking back at old screenshots I took and then current ones, things have gotten tighter. And so it's still more breathing room than Catalina, but not as wide as it was. And uh, And there's also an option that you can make the menu bar bigger, but <laughs> it makes it like three pixels taller or something. It's not night and day. Now, why is that there, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, let, I don't let's know. just take a little little tr- side trip down the idea of touchscreen Macs um, right here. Uh, you know, both of us kind of speculated that the spacing in the menu bar indicated that touchscreen Macs would come. We did not get them with the latest, you know, the very first iteration of Apple Silicon. Uh, there was an interview. I forget where it was, but we'll link it in the show notes where Craig Federighi said, he read how we all thought we were going to get touchscreen max based on that spacing. And that wasn't the idea. I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that I think something, why would you have a setting to change, to add additional space to the menu bar, unless you had something coming in. And then that started like a whole thing on Twitter and people are like, well, are they going to rewrite the OS for touch? No, I think what they're going to do is just going to make it touch friendly. Like you can still touch yeah. and make selections, but it's really made yeah. for a mouse. I don't believe uh, Craig. I think that's coming. Yep. Uh, I agree with you. I think it is. The legibility thing is really what, what comes back to me at the menu bar. Um, it does its best trying to shade it based on the wallpaper. And you can get in a situation where like the menu bar is bright, but the menus respect your light or dark theme setting. 
And so you can also get in a point where the menus don't look like they're connected to the menu bar. Like, you know, the, the top, you know, the, the file at the top is maybe on a white background and the new finder window. And the, the first thing in the menu is on a darker background. Uh, I think you can get yourself in a situation where it just looks, it looks really strange. And unlike in leopard where they tried this the first time, there's not a setting the best I can tell to just turn off transparency in the menu bar. You have to uh, basically turn transparency off everywhere uh, via a accessibility setting. And that radically changes, of course, how the, the UI looks. And so I wish I could dial the menu bar back closer to what I had in Catalina, but it's just not possible. Well, it's interesting to me. It feels to me like Apple has been trying to crack this nut for a while. Um, I think it was, you said, Leopard, where we had the transparent menu bar in the beta that eventually was taken out. Or I guess it was, it was hidden behind a preference setting. Yeah. Um, and basically nobody used it. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, here it is, and you get it whether you want it or not. I feel like this is, I feel like this is not bad not as bad as people are making it out to be, but I also feel like the cake isn't done yet. It's like you get, like yeah. you said, you get these weird conflicts where the menu bar and the actual menu items render, they, they look like they're from two different like screens. And um, I don't know. I think this needs more work, but it hasn't been a, a huge problem for me using the beta for three months now. I mean, I can read my menu bar items fine. Mm-hmm. I think I guess where there are fringe areas, like if you have a a screen that is in the gray zone, you know, where it doesn't know how to render, this, mm-hmm. I, I think you would have some visibility issues there. Um, so I guess now you have to make choices about your wallpaper, um, which is no fun. But overall, honestly, it hasn't been as big a deal for me as the proxy icons. Yeah, and and it may mean that more people have to use. Uh, an accessibility setting than they would before. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's fine, right? It, it doesn't stop you from using the system, but the menu bar definitely still bothers me <laughs> after yeah. the whole summer. And it really hasn't, um, hasn't gotten any, any love in the betas. It's basically what it was in the beginning. Well, having jumped back and forth between Catalina and Big Sur on different machines, I can tell you one thing I do like, and regardless of whether we're ever going to get touch, I like the additional space in the menu bar listings. Mm-hmm. I don't like having everything so cramped together. And even the menu bar icons, I'm not sure. I mean, part of me likes the space. Part of me doesn't like the fact that I don't get as many icons on the menu bar. But the, um, but just in general, the file, it, adding that little bit, bit extra of white space in between those entries I think it looks better. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And the menus themselves, the drop-down menus have a little more breathing room too, which is yeah. nice. And it's, it's and which makes it harder to hit the wrong one by accident because there's mm-hmm. enough space between them. And so I, I think there's some some nice things about it, but I, I agree with you that the fight towards transparency, I'm just not sure why that's a thing. And if it is, why isn't there just a checkbox where people can just go back to the old boring menu yep. bar? In fact, there's an there's an app, right? Yes, there is. Uh, Boring old menu bar uh, by Public Space. Uh, they're the developers of uh, a bunch of great Mac apps, 
this can basically what it does is it takes your wallpaper and then it basically draws a uh, line or a box, I guess, over the top of it. And it forces basically forces the menu bar into like an extreme case. So if you want your menu bar to be black or white, it sets the appropriate thing and, and makes it a lot more legible. Uh, this app, I, so I, I spoke to the developer in um, preparation for this episode and it doesn't do anything weird. Like there's no kernel extensions. Basically it's just copying your wallpaper and doing things with it. Um, but it is a little bit buggy just because Big Sur is brand new. And if you use spaces or other things, you may run into some issues with this. But it's a free 14-day trial, so um, I've been running it on my MacBook Pro without really too many problems. But it is an option uh, if you want to uh, tweak this a little bit. Yeah, and I, I'm fine with it as is, the transparency, whatever, you know. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, Apple has this tendency to like go towards transparency and then they get burned and then like come back a few years later. Like, Oh, let's try it again. But, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm not sure the story is over on this menu bar. No, I don't think so either. Um, and I get that they want to show color and like, even there's even a setting in the general preferences pane where all windows can be tinted with the wallpaper color, which looks super weird in screenshots because all your, like with the default wallpaper, all of your windows are a little bit pink because of like the the red and the yellows in the default wallpaper. Yeah. And I turned that off. I was like, no, no, I don't want any. I don't mind tint coming through the sidebars and the menus, but I don't want all of my window chrome to be slightly red or slightly blue. Yeah, that one went off for me too. Yeah, it, it just makes it look, look muddy to me. Uh, on the menu bar, we also got some new icons or or some updates to some old ones. And uh, the first one, I think, which is really interesting is the control center. You know, we had the control center on iOS devices for a long time. Now we have one on our Macs. We do. Uh, It is basically home to all the system settings. So Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, AirDrop, keyboard brightness, screen brightness, volume, those sorts of things. The way I think about control center on the Mac is that it's there to clean up a menu bar that could be dominated by system utilities. And if you're like us or our listeners and have a bunch of third-party utilities up there, it can really bring down the overall number of things in your menu bar. And I think for the most part, it's fine. Like how often do you really need to go to the menu bar, like to check your Wi-Fi or Bluetooth? Like one extra click is not a huge deal there. You can, you can, if it is a huge deal for you, you can graduate things back to the menu bar and take them out of control center. So if you really, for some reason, in the Bluetooth menu item all the time, that doesn't have to live in control center if you don't need it to. Yeah, and it's all adjustable through the system ses- uh, preference settings. Yeah. So like Stephen was saying, you can add or remove things. You can even just drag items out of the control center. I believe you have to hold down the command key to do so. Um, but you can put them into your menu bar out of control center if you want. And mm-hmm. you can do some nice customizations there. For instance, I like to occasionally use voice control for long dictation. Um, I don't leave it on 24-7, but it's better than the built-in dictation. Um, but that's under the accessibility button. And you, I added the accessibility button to my control center, and I can just go down and click it and you know start things rolling. 
Um, this is more evidence in my mind of a touch-based Mac. Um, I think it's also something that someone like my wife, who is not a power user, would find very um, comforting. You know, like you go mm -hmm. in here, it's very clear what you can manage and not manage, more so than cryptic icons in the menu bar. I think this would be um, yeah. something that she'll probably use. Well, you know, the new MacBook Air has a dictation key on the keyboard, one yeah. of the function keys. Uh, yeah. Pick that up. And I guess it'll be in the touch bar on the MacBook Pro. I don't think we know as we're recording. We don't know about that yet, but I would imagine that, that you could put that there as well, which is cool. Yeah, but there's two kinds of dictation. There's the built-in Siri voice to text right. dictation, which now apparently has a timer, um, even on hmm. Mac. And then there's the voice control dictation, which is, you know, open mic. And uh, so right. okay. that's the, the complication there. I'm sorry, I doubted your dictation knowledge my prowess yeah that's uh, right the, uh, king of dictation but the uh but the, i think the control center is a good addition i mean i think this is something a lot of people are going to really like yeah um it's it's pretty good and it it is nice looking like it looks mac like and it just especially if you're on a notebook like most people are it really really means that you can minimize what's in the menu bar and I, and I do think this is going to iterate. Like, this is not the final design of Control Center. I would guess next year it's going to get little adjustments and changes, um, mm -hmm. you know, as Apple does. They they start with something, then they put it out to users, and I think the, it'll, it will evolve a bit um, because it's so early. Yeah, like right now you can basically turn things on and off, but you can't rearrange them. So say you want battery to be top of the Control Center, well, you don't you don't get that option. And so... I think that they will, they'll continue to improve this definitely. Yeah, and then kind of related is the notification center slash widget slide over. That got a bunch of changes too this year. It did huge changes. This feels like part of macOS that Apple has hasn't really figured out before. I think maybe this will uh, probably be the final iteration for a while. For a long time, it was split up between today and notifications, just like it used to be on iOS back in the day. And so you had these segmented controls and the widgets were, they were okay, but third-party support wasn't ever amazing with them. And they had like these bugs where they would reorder each other um, sometimes you'd go into your today view and all your widgets would be scrambled and it just felt like it never got a lot of love that Apple kind of put it in there and that was that. But now notification center combines notifications and widgets together. So there's not that segmented control. Like I just pulled it up on my desktop and I've got notifications in here going back weeks because I never go in here. Right. Yeah. Um, now they're they're all together. Basically, the top half is notifications and the bottom half is widgets. Yeah, I just feel like this is what we needed here for a long time. I, I this is one of my favorite improvements on Big Sur is because having it as two different like modes. There was the widget mode and the notifications mode. Inevitably, you never got the right mode that you wanted every time you used it. Um, and this is just I think way better and. This is also a little bit of bleed over from iOS with the new widgets because the widgets are very similar and managed very similarly to the way they are in iOS. 
which will make it easier for people, you know, coming over to be able to set up their widgets the way they want. But just having one slide over is great. And by the way, if you have a laptop, it's a two by default, it's two fingers. If you just take two fingers and you slide from, you know, off of your trackpad onto your trackpad from the right side, that that will show up. Mm-hmm. And the the widgets are from iOS. It's the same Swift UI versions. And so Mac developers can bring those over. My understanding is pretty easily. And I think that we'll see a big explosion of these over the coming months. Yeah, agreed. And it's already started on on iPhone and iPad, and I think it's it's just going to follow straight in on the Mac. And in terms of putting the notifications at the top and the widgets at the bottom, I I just prefer it. I think it's and and they you know they do a good job of stacking them together so you don't get just all notification widgets. Um, this is just a nice improvement. Yeah. Uh, I do have one complaint about the notifications. So in Catalina and previous versions say that a notification for an email came in. Well, that notification would have buttons for reply or delete, or if you set archive as your default, reply and archive. Those actions are still available to you on Big Sur mail notifications, but they're under a button called options. So you have to click options and then choose what you want it to do. And that rubbed me wrong all summer and continues to do so because notifications on the Mac, like I can just bring my mouse up real quickly and delete a message or respond to something or, you know, snooze something and having a second click there. It it bothers me a lot more than the proxy icon for some reason, maybe because I interact with these widgets a lot like this, Yeah, but it is uh, frustrating that there's another click there. Like I have this, you know, even on a 13 inch MacBook air, the notifications are tiny up in the corner. Like you could have made them a little bit bigger to deal with the new design or put the buttons beneath them or something, but stashing them behind another click, I find uh, annoying. Yeah. And I'm not sure what purpose that's serving. Like, first of all, it's going to be way less discoverable because a lot of normal users are never going to click options. And um, I, I agree. I'm not sure that that, ser- I'd like to know why it's there. Cause it doesn't seem like it really serves anything. Yeah, I wonder if if the thought that's out there, I don't particularly share this thought, but I think there's some credence to it that Apple's design over the last several years has be, has kind of become more more like print where like you don't want to you know, you want it to be minimal and clean. And I think that's just kind of the wrong thing in computers. Like computers have this functionality and Mac OS, even though it's 11.0, it's, you know, really a 20 year old operating system. It has a bunch of features and I think they always have to balance showing those features to everybody and overwhelming new users, right? That's like the fundamental stress at the center of the iPad. That's just so evident to me when you pick up an iPad and hand it to somebody and they accidentally go into multitasking and they have no idea how to get out. Like it's great for power users, confusing for, you know, new users, I feel like Apple has tipped the scales towards simplifying things and letting the burden of that fall to users who know what the system can do. And now we have to go find them. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it's frustrating. And I think that to me, the notifications and the proxy icon are definitely the two examples of that with Big Sur this year. Maybe I'm cranky. I don't I don't mean to be cranky. I don't, but. No, I, I get it. It's like they, they made a choice with the proxy icons that, 
of all the, because they're space constrained, that's the one that has to go. And for all I know, they've got internal data that shows like 0.5% people will actually use them. I don't know, but it, it would not surprise me if it was that low. So in some ways it makes sense, but it also makes me a little sad. Yeah. Agreed. What about the dock? The dock changed too. Yeah, it floats just like the iPad OS dock. Um, I use my dock on the side. I don't want to hear other opinions because the, the right side is the correct place for the dock. Um, wait, but wait, it does wait, look wait, really wait, good wait, on the bottom wait, floating wait. there. <laughs> the right side? Yeah, the right side. The left side is the proper place. No, I want it near all my icons. I just want to go to the right side for everything. All your menu bar, utilities are in the upper right-hand corner. Your icons are in the upper right-hand corner. Dock icons should be in the right-hand side. All your menu bar items are on the left side. No, well, the menus are. Yeah. But, but you know, if you got to get to open up, you know, something on the left. All right, I'm moving it to the right, and I'm going to report back. Okay. But I'm, I'm not sure about this madness. This is going to lead to a civil war in the MPU forms. Yeah, I'm sure I know because every time I say something about this, you know, people show up outside my door with pitchforks. Position on screen, right click. Yes. Okay. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how this goes. It's way better. Um, one really joyful part of Big Sur to me is the new system sounds. And yeah, I'm like a little sad the old ones are gone. I would point people to upgrade episode 307 if you didn't hear that over the summer. Mike and Jason listened to all of them, like old sound versus new sound, and judged them. It's a fantastic episode. I don't want to recreate that because they did such a good job. Um, but I like all the new sounds. I think they're fun and whimsical, and I think Apple did a really good job on them. Yeah, I mean, I like anything Apple does to add whimsy to Mac OS because that's mm-hmm. what brought me in at the beginning. And yeah. I feel like they've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. So I, I'm happy to see the new sounds, too. I don't have any problem with any of them. I think they're great. Uh, they're they're really nice. Take a little getting used to if you're used to like what things sound like, but overall you adjust very quickly. And it's something that now if I'm at my desktop and I hear a Catalina sound, I'm like, oh, that sounds old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. all you know. Apple did a good job. Yeah, they and and honestly, they do kind of like shade toward the older sound, so it's yeah. not that hard to adjust to it either. Yeah, like I kept my alert sound, so sue me. It's what I've used forever. And it still it just sounds like a newer version of it. Some of them are bigger departures than others, but there's definitely a nod to the historic side as well in most of them. All right. So overall, what do you think of the new look of of Big Sur? Uh, I think for the most part, I like it. Uh, I do have concerns about things that are hard to read and some transparency in areas. I do like that there is so much customization you can do. I think that's really fantastic with the accent colors and the themes and control center and you being able to bring in what you need and and how you want things to look. I really like all of that. I do have a little bit of that concern that maybe it's hiding some things that a lot of people use, but maybe it's the reality is not a lot of people use them. It's just people in our circles and, and Apple, like you said, probably has that data. But uh, overall, I think it's a great starting point for what could come in the future as long as they keep iterating on it. Yeah, iteration, I think, is important because it is so different. Um, but kind of just kind of the over the meta position for me is switching between Catalina and Big Sur regularly as I have been for the last three months. When I sit at a Big Sur machine, I like it better. 
And I, I thought maybe it's just because it's new and different, which definitely, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of a thing for us, right? We yeah. see something new and we're like, oh, this is cool. But even now that I'm used to it and see it all the time, I like the additional spacing in the menu bar items. I think the rounded rectangles are kind of nice looking. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we do like we've shared several things that we'd like to see improved or iterated upon. But overall, I, I think this yeah. is going to look really nice. And the other penny drops for me tomorrow when I have a Mac that I can run an iPad app next to a Mac app. And I think it's going to look really good on a big yes. machine. I think that's what a lot of these decisions are based in, that moving forward, new Macs can run both of these apps. And yeah, that means that us Intel Mac owners, which is 100% of Mac owners today, that we get a lot of the change without the reason for the change, but I think that's okay. Um, One quick thing before we kind of wrap up the design section that we didn't mention earlier, I did find in the beginning it a little difficult to discern foreground and background windows. Apple has altered this a little bit during the betas and it, it, as long as you can see the stoplight controls, it's really clear because they're, you know, they're, they're lit up and colorful. And if they're in the background, they're gray. But if you do ha- run into issues with that, there is this really cool app called Hazover. Um, you can get it in the Mac app store. It's the set app. And what Hazover does is it dims all of your non-active windows. And I've used it on Catalina and Big Sur. It works well. And if, if that's something that you uh, feel like Big Sur got wrong or you just want it from like a focus perspective, it's uh it's a nice little third party utility. Yeah, I think Hazover is going to have a good run with yeah. the release of Big Sur. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh yeah. It's another developer. I talked to the developers of both of these apps because I want to make sure they were like good to go on Big Sur and they're like, Yeah, we've seen uh, you know, we've seen Big Sur and we think this will be a, a useful thing for people. So Yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Woven. When I think about the times where I feel overwhelmed with my schedule or overwhelmed with the work that I have to do, very often it's because I've lost track of what's on my calendar. I've lost track of when things are due, when I have things that I need to do with somebody else. And you you hate that feeling, right? You get the text message and be like, oh, uh, you know, are you coming? I was like, oh, did we have a meeting? You know, it's a bad feeling. Well, Woven works to fix all of that because it syncs all of your calendars in one place, including Google, uh, G Suite, Microsoft 365. You can see all of these, you know, professional and personal calendars all in one place. It builds scheduling links directly into your calendar. So you can use one-off scheduling links. You can quickly block time out using Woven's smart templates so you can plan your perfect week. It has built-in analytics so you can easily calculate where you spend your time. So if you're a big calendar person but you don't want to time track, uh, Woven can uh, get you through those decisions. You got to check this out. Take control of your calendar and improve your workflow. And as a listener of the show, you can try Woven for free for 21 days. Go to woven.com or click the link in the show notes. That's woven.com. Our thanks to Woven for their support of the Mac Power users. All right, we talked last week with Kurt from Apple about Safari 14, but I thought it'd be worthwhile to kind of dig in because Safari got a lot of changes this year. It did. Uh, We're up to now version 14 of Safari, which is something that when we wrote it out, it's like, oh, I feel really old. I remember when Safari was brand new. Yeah. Um, But yeah, version 14, it's wild. Yeah. 
Yeah. It has uh, a lot of changes in it. And what is cool, like we said earlier, Apple is good about supporting older OSs in terms of software updates. Safari is, is one of those examples. It will run uh, on Mojave and Catalina. In fact, it came out mid-September. So you've probably already been using Safari 14 for a little while. But, um, but yeah, I thought we could talk through some of the features. Um, under the hood, there's some changes. So Flash is gone. Of course, you get better performance and things like JavaScript and page loading. Apple always touts that, you know, Safari is super fast, and it is. When's the last time you ran Flash in Safari, though? It's been a long, long time. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing for me, like, six years? I don't yeah. Know. I mean, that. Flash is basically gone everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the thing I'm most excited about, really, is this idea of them bringing in plugins, you know, in a, in a more robust plugin architecture. Yeah, so the the new extensions API, we talked to Kurt about this, where if a company or developer has an extension available to them, they've already written for Chrome or Firefox or something else, they can bring that in through Xcode. It's got to go in the Mac App Store. There's a new section in the Mac App Store now for these things. But they can port these to Safari way easier than they used to be able to. Before this developing a Safari extension was like a one-off because the way Apple did it was uh, unusual. They didn't use the the tools that sort of standardized around Chrome and Firefox. Um, from a user perspective, though, because Safari is so, uh, based on privacy, is that you can really control the access these extensions have to your data. So you can allow it on specific sites or all sites. You can say you know, only have access to this for one day. Uh, lots of, of really nice settings to limit what these things can do. Cause a lot of these extensions work by seeing what you're doing in your browser. And of course that does have privacy implications. Yeah. It, it kind of gives you that great um, ecosystem of plugins without the wild West mentality of like, what did this just do to my computer? Cause yeah. Uh, on some of the other browsers, you really don't know. Um, uh, the uh, so good on that. It, I haven't really seen the payoff on that yet, though. I mean, there's several apps that I'm or plugins I'm following that aren't there yet. But I, I feel like that's only a question of time now. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll take a while. I think this will be more successful than Apple's past extension programs. But I don't think we're ever going to see the wide range of things that we see in something like Chrome. I think a lot of developers won't bother with Safari. But for those who do, it'll be a lot less work for them. Now, explain for the listeners this whole issue with the video codec war, silent war that's been going on between YouTube and Apple. Yeah. So Google has an image format called WebP and a video codec called VP9. Uh, if you remember, Apple went with uh, HEIC and Heath for their kind of new image and video standards that rolled out last year or the year before. But Google's doing their own. And each company says, you know, theirs is the best. You know, they have these reasons. But it meant that 4K video on YouTube was only available in browsers that supported VP9. And Apple didn't. So there wasn't 4K YouTube on the Apple TV. There wasn't 4K YouTube in the browser, right? You sit in front of a beautiful 5K display and you're stuck at 1080p for your YouTube videos. And... It was basically a standoff, like the old West, right? Like one end of, of Main Street was Google, the other end of Main Street was Apple. Yeah. And with Big Sur, 
uh, Apple's the one that uh, seemed to cave. And so Safari 14 on Big Sur, you can now load uh, 4K YouTube and, and other websites that use this codec. It's on iOS 14 as well. It doesn't mean all video is 4K, right? The the creator has to upload in that and some older 4K videos don't support it. But on the whole, new content uh, that uses this format will be available to Mac users in Safari. Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't look at it as Apple caving. I feel like, of course, their users wanted 4K content. Yeah. And if you've got yeah, to support... Yeah, that wasn't as exciting in my old West metaphor. Yeah, you know? I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm glad that they were the grown-ups that actually said, okay, well, and, you know, because either YouTube was going to agree to support Apple's codec or Apple was going to include the support theirs, and mm-hmm. I'm glad Apple did the right thing. Me too. Uh, so that's, uh, me too. That's there. Um, yep. The the, um, the built-in translation is really nice. It's something that I used to use Chrome for because um, Google was there first. But if you go to a website that's a different language, as we kind of do researching stuff for Mac Power users, or there's a lot of international press covering Apple, um, it was always a pain that I'd have to go open uh, Chrome in order to see it. Now there's a translate button. You press it, and it does a good job. Yeah. A little feature that I'm really liking is the new tab bar design. So you can have more tabs. You can have favicons on. They're on by default. I turned them off. I don't like favicons. I'm sorry. What? What? I don't. Okay. I don't. Because a lot of websites do bad ones. Uh, but a great feature that kind of came from the touch bar. So if you're in Safari on a touch bar Mac, you get a preview of your tabs. Well, now if you hover over a tab, you get a little preview of it. It sort of extends down from the tab, and I love this feature. Very often, I could have, you know, multiple websites or tabs open that already have the same name, and being able to like quickly go through them and say, "Oh, this is that. This is the other thing." Just a nice little, uh, nice little feature. Yeah, and on the touch bar, they're like fifteen pixels tall, whereas on the Mac, they're like big enough to actually render the website, like a small version of the website. Mm-hmm. So. It's yeah. actually, I think, better than the touch bar version. Yes, I think so too. Uh, but yeah, that's I agreed with you on that. Um, then they've got this whole new start page. And I feel like this is another thing that's been in motion a lot. But I think maybe they found what they wanted with this new release. Yeah, this is cool. Um, and I was a person who used uh, an empty page <laughs> for my new Windows. Okay. Uh, and I have I've moved it uh, to this new start page design. And so it it borrows a lot from iOS. So you see your favorites and frequently visited there, like you see on iOS. You also get series suggestions, reading list. If you have anything in your reading list, Um, you get your iCloud tabs, although you don't get all of them. There's a dropdown and you have to pick what, what other device tabs you want to see. I find a little strange. It's it's nice though, and the best part is it's fully user customizable. But I think the best part about the new Safari start screen is at the lower right corner, there's some sliders. It's a little slider icon. You click on that, and you can turn off or on whatever pieces of this you want. Like if you don't use reading list, you can just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And um, you can also add a background image to it if you want. Although I have not been successful in finding a satisfactory background image, I think I would I almost just prefer it to be gray behind because the background image kind of gets in the way of yeah. finding what I want. But you know, it, that's 
I'm just being picky, but the uh, but overall, the, a customizable start screen is really useful. It is. Uh, it's really nice, and it again, it's just one of those features that makes it makes iOS and macOS a little bit closer to each other. I'd like to see this on the iPad, honestly, where I could really customize this. I think it'd be a really nice fit on the iPad. Yeah, agreed. And I feel like there may be some little tweaks to this. Maybe they'll add some elements to it. But overall, mm-hmm. I think this is where it's going to be for a while now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty nice looking. Now, you mentioned earlier about Apple and privacy, you know, in relation to Flash and some of the other and the plugins. But um, they actually kind of went further with privacy with this version, too. Um, they've got this thing now called Privacy Report. Um, that displays trackers and, you know, site blocks. And it just does a better job of letting you know just how creepy the internet really is. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. And so you can you can pull this up and you can see how many things have tracked you, or how many things Apple's blocked. It's um, It's eye-opening. Yeah. And Apple is the only web um, browser developer. Well, I guess DuckDuckGo would also be in this category where they they seem like they're kind of actively fighting the whole, you know, privacy intrusion that the web represents. I mean, Apple, they, they talked at the WWC presentation that you and I were invited to. They talked about anti-fingerprinting technology, you know, trying to keep people from figuring out that, you know, if you look at the lands in website, then I can feed you a lands in ad on a completely different website, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they just continue to bring it here. I know that they're kind of in hot water with some of the big advertising sites over this. And is it wrong for me to be a little happy about that? No. Uh, I mean, I've got no problem with advertising. It's how I pay my bills, yeah. but there's a difference between advertising that is, respectful of the audience and advertising that tracks their every move and the web unfortunately went to the dark side yeah yeah you're right it, it could have been a different story but it's not it's mm-hmm. whack-a-mole <laughs> you know, it really yep. is literally yep. um so so that's nice and you mentioned earlier also that all this 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 stuff goes through the mac app store now um i've got a couple plugins recently the instapaper plugin the Grammarly plugin, and it's it's a pretty easy experience now to go through the app store and install these plugins. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I think it's the right way to do it. You know, for a while there was like the weird uh, website Apple had, and you could like download extensions from the website, and then it was very strange. Uh, this makes a lot more sense, and I think is a lot more not only discoverable, but I think that people. They feel comfortable with the app store, right? They know it on the phone, they know it on the Mac, and they'll be able to uh, navigate it and, and safely do so, which is huge. So we've talked about Safari, but let's talk a little bit about some of the other system apps that come with Big Sur. You want to start with Maps? Yeah, I mean, this is the one I'm least excited about because I just <laughs> don't use Maps very often on I, my Mac. I never use it on my Mac, ever. I use it sometimes just like if I know I'm going to be going somewhere tomorrow and I just want a general idea of where it is, um, I can do that. And they have a nice ability to share your map destination to your iPhone with a right click, which is cool. Um, So I I do use it on occasion, but I don't really use it under fire. You know, I'm not like driving down the road with my laptop open in the passenger seat, you know, giving me driving directions. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
I was telling my kids the other day about how we used to drive with maps, with actual maps. Uh, paper oh, yeah, you maps. go to MapQuest and print it out. Yeah, or, or even before that, in, in Southern California, it was the Thomas Guide. You know, everybody, mm, I don't know, they yeah. had them back there. But the uh, you'd have a, literally, you'd have a box of books in your trunk of all the Thomas Guides for all of Southern California. But, yeah, so uh, maps. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's got the new design. It looks a lot more like iOS. Uh, you can say favorites. Uh, look around is interesting. Have you played with look around? A little bit. This is kind of Apple's answer to street view. Uh, kind of, uh, I think it is. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, it is, it yeah. is. Um, it's, I mean, Apple's behind, Apple hasn't been in the game as, as long as Google has. So it is yeah. not as, um, robust, but I think it also looks really good. Yeah. But I mean, that is like a boil the ocean project. Like we're going <sighs> to take video of every street in every in the world <laughs> you know it takes I mean? a long time it takes a while so i'm glad they got started let's just leave it at mm-hmm. that but it but it is nice and i use that as well like when i was talking about before i go somewhere if it's somewhere new i may open up this view to see okay this is the you know it's right next to the shrimp taco place or whatever um and then the um the indoor maps is a thing that's just coming over because it's on the other stuff uh cycling navigation um, this is really a conversation we should probably have in relation to mobile. I think you, in fact, said that you're using it a bit, but they don't have a lot of support where, you know, where you live. Yeah, there's, well, there's no support where I live. Um, Google does, but, but Apple doesn't. Apple's rolling this out city by city. I want the, I want it to be there because I would love to have this on my Apple Watch, you know, just like um, when I can ride my bike again. But uh, yeah, not here yet. I guess the real story about the Maps app is that it's a Catalyst app. And yes. So it's just bringing over all the work they've done on the iOS side, and now we have it on the Mac as well, whether or not any of us ever want to use it. <laughs> yeah, and it means that they can have all those features on all their platforms at once, which makes a lot of sense. Maps is an application really wrapper around a service, kind of like how iMessage is, which is next in the Google Doc. And yeah. this lets them, okay, hey, we're going to have, you know, look around or we're going to have all, you know, cycling, whatever the new feature is, it means they can have it everywhere. And that's how this should work. Yeah. And, and I'll say that let's move on to the messages app because okay. that that's the big change. I mean, I, I feel like they made vast improvement with messages on Mac this year. Yes. So another catalyst app and we're gonna talk about catalyst in a second. This is not your, uh, catalyst that we were introduced to two years ago yeah messages and maps both if you didn't know they had changed i'm not sure that you could put your finger on it like they're they feel and look and act like they're the app kit versions that these replace um yeah with messages in particular it means that all of the modern features and messages like threading and effects and pinned threads, which I absolutely love on iOS. It means that I can now have those all at my Mac too. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I think that, and it's been so long since we've had a similar version of messages on the Mac. It always felt like a second class citizen. And yes, you know, there were things that you could do on your iPhone. I mean, how often did you find yourself pulling your iPhone out of your pocket to return to a message? Cause the feature was missing on the Mac and that's generally not, the problem anymore you can even set your own memoji stickers mm-hmm. and design them now right on the mac so i uh 
I'm really happy that, that they did this. I feel like it took too long, but now that it's here, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, it's, it's really fantastic. And again, it, just like maps, it gives them the ability to push new features to everybody at once. I mean, you could argue that iMessage is Apple's most important service from a um, strategy perspective. And the Mac didn't have access to a bunch of that. And and now it does. And for someone like me or you, we do a lot of work at the Mac. I use iMessage all day. I mean, yeah. Slack is for work. iMessage is for everything else. And I respond to a lot of messages on my computer. And now I don't feel like, oh, I got to go do this. Now it's like, oh yeah, my threads are here. My pinned messages are here. It all is just the same. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Photos is another app that got a lot of big changes this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it got the new long sidebar. I'm, I'm going to, by the way, for photos, field guide customers, I'm going to have a free update coming out. I'm working on it now. Nice. Um, but the, um, you know, the big change, the thing, if you saw my photos field guide, the thing I complained about most on the Mac side was the lack of parity with features where on the iPhone and iPad, you've had the ability to do these amazing video edits now for a couple of years where you mm-hmm. can go in and, and, you know, you could change the white balance on your whole video or, or vibrancy or whatever. And it's just like, it was an amazing tool set that didn't exist on the Mac. Now it does. They brought now the whole thing it. I remember when they brought that to iOS and thinking, oh my gosh, like I can change, I can apply a filter to a video. Why can't my computer do this? <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and now it can. Um they also added the ability to adjust the intensity if you use Apple's color filters, which some of them are okay. Yeah. Um, you know, some are better than others. You can now adjust the intensity of those, which is really nice. Yeah. And, and generally you get these additional sliders in a lot of places now yeah. where before it was a one or a zero, you know, you turn the feature mm-hmm. on or off. Now you can turn it on, but then you can change how intense it is. Yeah. Overall, just the editing in photos has become much more flexible, I think is sort of the name of the game this year. Yeah, totally. And I thought that maybe the reason we didn't have all those edits on video was because, you know, the Apple Silicon, the A whatever chip probably had a built-in like mini processor to do that. And Intel chips don't, but that's not true because this stuff runs fine on my Intel Mac. So I don't know why it took them so long, but it's great. And the Mac now has that parity. So, uh, you know, photos got a nice update this year. It really did. Um, and the new design looks really good in photos. I think photos, I think photos maybe gained the nicest or like gained the most from the new design with the tall sidebar and the, the new title bars and stuff. I think photos looks really good. Yeah. Uh, Apple mail got a ton of changes, right? I mean, they changed everything. I can't believe how they rewrote the whole app. Snoozing and, you know, all these feet. No, (laughs) Uh, it looks new. (laughs) No, no real new modern features in mail. Mail Search, search is harder. You got to press another button. Search is worse. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Uh, Yeah. And the same with calendar. I didn't really have any really gripes with calendar before, but it has the new design. Um, you know, those apps are sort of are what they are, which is fine. The third-party mail and calendar app developers are in good shape. <laughs> yep, not sure locked in any way this year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> reminders and notes, it's kind of the similar story. Notes um, is more or less the same on the Mac. Some 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 revised view stuff, but nothing major. 
Uh, reminders, you can now assign individual reminders to somebody. So you could share a list before, but now you can uh, get more granular with that. Uh, reminders still lacks some some basic features that would make it work for me, like having folders for lists and automatic sorting. But there's chipping away on it, and reminders is uh, is still fantastic for a lot of people. In fact, I use it. I was in it just uh, this weekend. I have a couple of checklists that I've moved to reminders, like books to read, media to watch, uh, YouTube ideas, and column ideas. I keep on reminders, and it's I I use you know, that pretty often. It's great for that, but it just doesn't scale up to what I need. Yeah. And, you know, both of us are pretty intense task list manager people. So that's yes. just the way it is. But, you know, Apple Notes, I feel like that is one toward the end of its kind of evolution. And not surprisingly, it didn't really get a whole lot new this year. Yeah. But but they put a lot of effort into that the last several years. So I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Um. Now, something you found as we prep for the show that I wasn't even aware of was the time machine changes. Can you explain that? Yeah. So APFS came out with what High Sierra, the new file format, really uh, from the ground up designed for SSDs, and HFS Plus was from the you know the Stone Ages, and, and now APFS is here. Time Machine though could have really benefited from this. APFS has a lot of things that make file copies much faster. It has snapshotting. It has um, smart management of file changes over time. And Time Machine has finally been updated to support a bunch of that stuff. So if you switch your Time Machine volume to be APFS, uh, and APFS isn't fantastic on a spinning hard drive, but it's doable, I guess. Uh, but if you back up to an SSD for some reason, if you're you know, <laughs> the fastest backups possible, yeah, um, and you switch to APFS, you can take advantage of that stuff. So backups should be faster and more robust. And more secure, really, too, right? And more secure. So if you switch to APFS, two things happen. One, you can no longer use that drive for anything else. And so currently, if you're using HFS Plus on your Time Machine drive, you can also copy folders on and off that just like outside of the time machine structure. Um, can't do that anymore, which is probably a good idea. Like just dedicate the disc to time machine. Yeah. And if you're on a, a Mac with a T2 chip or now I guess an M1 chip backup disc encryption is enforced if you use APFS. And so for a long time you could encrypt your time machine backup drive. So if someone stole it off your desk when you were at lunch, you they didn't have your data, right? They just had an encrypted blob of, of nothingness. But uh, that is now enforced. If you if you use APFS and you're on a T2 or M1 Mac, that's probably a good thing. Uh, and APFS means that the encryption really shouldn't slow down the backup. That was a complaint that I had on HFS Plus Time Machine, that if you used an encrypted volume, it made the backup seem slower. So this may not be something everyone takes advantage of today, but it sets Time Machine up into this new era, taking advantage of all of these other changes. Time machine. So exciting. Yeah. Well, you know what? It needed this. I mean, I feel like this is the other penny of the drop after APFS. I mean, it just took them another year or two, but yeah. it's here now. Yeah. That's and good. you really, I'm okay with Apple taking their time. Time machine yeah. should be bulletproof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I already turned it on though. I mean, I'm good. 
Yeah, we do need to pour one out. Uh, network utility is gone. That application has been removed in Big Sur. Uh, it really didn't do anything that you couldn't do in Terminal. So yeah. it's fine. It just, it's gone. So yeah. if you were a ne- network utility fan, uh, I'm sorry. I have bad yeah. news. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. And with real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience. So you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations and deliver great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability. Meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to talk a little bit about Matt Catalyst. We spoke at the end of last show about all the different ways developers can not only write Mac apps, but bring iOS apps over to the Mac. So on M1 machines, it's just native out of the box. But on Intel Macs, to run iOS applications, developers still need to use uh, Mac Catalyst. And those early days of Catalyst were pretty, pretty bad. Those first four example apps Apple showed, I think Apple did a disservice to Catalyst by shipping those apps probably too early. Yeah, because everybody just gave up on it before they even tried it. Yes, exactly. They thought, oh, this these lead to terrible applications. But Apple has been uh, hard at work with this. And now Apple not only ships new stocks, voice memos, and home, but messages, maps, find my podcasts, and Swift Playgrounds on the Mac also are all Catalyst apps. And the way they're doing this is a, a new feature in Catalyst for developers called Optimized for Mac. And there's, there's a lot to this. Um, basically, before this, Catalyst apps were scaled down to like 77% of their normal size. And it meant that things didn't look quite right. And these apps also, we complained about this on the show, had a lot of UI features that were straight from iOS and didn't work well on the Mac. Remember like the date and time tumblers yeah, in I, Home? It's like, that was ugh. ridiculous that that ridiculous. was on the Mac. Uh-huh. And, and now through this sort of new version of Catalyst optimized for Mac, a bunch of that stuff is better. So apps run at 100% of their normal size. So fonts and everything look correct and good. It automatically changes a lot of things like popovers and checkboxes and date pickers, you know, using the Mac versions of those UI elements. It means developers still have to do work. It's still not just a magic bullet to turn an iPad app into a good Mac app. But now Catalyst does a lot more for developers. And that is exciting to me. 
Yeah, I don't know if you're aware. Instapaper just released a Catalyst version of Instapaper for the Mac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I downloaded it over the weekend, kind of thinking about today's show. And it's a really good app. I mean, it 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 feels like a Mac iteration of Instapaper. It does not feel like the iPad version, you know. And I feel like this is a good thing for Mac users. I'm I'm glad not only did Apple make changes, now we're starting to see third-party developers adopt them yep. and, and ship apps that we like to use. That's right. And and I think also the, all of this work, in my mind, cements Mac Catalyst's future, right? You could, you could look at this, I think a lot of us did a couple of years ago when it was introduced as, this is a bridge. Yeah. And eventually iOS apps will just run on the Mac and this is just a way to kind of bridge the two or to bring Intel Macs into the future a little bit. But the fact that Apple has now built system applications on top of Catalyst messages is as core as it gets. And the fact that Apple has done all this work for the optimized for Mac sort of version of this with, you know, Mac style alerts and password autofill services menus, all the stuff that these Mac apps get now, I think for a long time, Catalyst will be a viable way to bring an app to the Mac. Um, and I think that it fits a couple of different scenarios. One, it means that Intel Macs can run Instapaper, right? Instead of just buying an M1 Mac and having yeah. the the iPad version running natively. Or using a lousy web version, yeah. Yeah, or a lousy web version. All Mac users can have access to that ecosystem of apps if the developer chooses to do so. And that's an important thing right now that will over the next five or six years become less important as Intel Macs slowly fade away. But for now it's the majority of the, the vast majority, like, you know, what is it? in six months, it's still be probably what 99% of Macs and out there will be Intel Macs, not yeah. Apple Silicon. I mean, when we started recording this podcast two weeks ago or two hours ago, I don't know. <laughs> it's been yeah. that long. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, when we started recording the podcast, we were talking about eight-year-old Macs are still getting software updates, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of these Intel Macs, is, even though Apple wants to switch over to Apple Silicon over the next two years, there's going to be a lot of Macs, including several in my home, that are going to be running off Intel for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a very expensive computer under my desk that's going to be Intel for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is so that's that's cool. That is that is good. That is a a completely good use case for a developer to say, I want to target Intel Max with my iOS code. What it also does though is it gives all developers targeting Intel and or Apple Silicon the ability to take an iOS code base and make it way more Mac-like. And so even if a developer doesn't care about Intel machines. Uh, which would be a foolish business mistake, but let's just say that they don't care about Intel machines. They just care about Apple Silicon. You could just have your iOS app run, but if you now go through this work, it is much more Mac-like than it would be before. And that gives you an opportunity to have sort of a standalone Mac version of your application for a lot less work than rebuilding it in AppKit, the traditional way of making Mac applications. That'll fit well for a lot of developers too. I was thinking like that in terms of Instapaper. So I was using it last night for some time and I got thinking, would I prefer this or would I prefer the iPad version running on my Mac? 
And I honestly think I'd probably prefer the Catalyst version. It does feel like a Mac app, whereas the iPad version is going to look and act like the iPad version. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's these additions are fantastic, and I think Catalyst is is here for the long haul. All right. So as I said at the beginning, though, this is going to be a long episode today. Stephen and I are going to jump into our time machines, and we're going to be back in just a moment with fresh knowledge of the M1 MacBook Air. So, uh, are you getting used to time travel yet? It's 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 weird, but yeah, I think I think I got here intact all in one piece. It, I don't know, it makes me hungry, so I don't know. But the uh, <laughs> You got to put some snacks in the DeLorean. I next time we will. Next time we will. What, what kind of snack would you put in the DeLorean? Oh, man. I'm a simple snack person. I like, you know, fruit and, you know, peanut butter and that sort of thing. I'm not a big get, candy person. Yeah, see, yeah. I, I, I would go salty. I think we'd have some kind of potato chips. But just Okay. I could get behind that. All right. Um, so we have been playing with some new M1 MacBook Airs. Uh, you want to talk through it a little bit? Yeah, I, I do. Right off the bat, let me just say that everything Apple said about these machines seems to be true. Yes. <laughs> They're really good. Yeah. You know, in fact, I got a bunch of email after we published a show saying you weren't critical enough. You should have been questioning. But honestly, I believed them because I've seen the benchmarks on the iPad that are faster mm-hmm. than a Mac Pro or a MacBook Pro, at least. So yep. I, I actually fully expected this thing to be a screamer, and it is. And I, I just, you know, so I've been using it a day. I've done a bunch of hard work on it. It's never, I know they are throttling. There's some good folks on YouTube that have done some good research showing that the MacBook Air does throttle if you if you give it a load over time. But I certainly haven't noticed it in the things I'm doing, and it hasn't got hot. I just can't get over it. I, I was impressed uh, right off the bat. So I used migration assistant to put everything from my 16 inch MacBook pro onto this MacBook air. Yeah. Oh, I'll do that again in a little while to give it to Mary, but you know, migration assistant takes a long time. I've got a lot of data and of course the MacBook pro it's fans were spinning. The 16 inch machine is great, but it, it can be noisy. We could yeah. just say that. And the MacBook air never even got warm underneath. And then, so I thought, okay, well, you know, it's data transfer, but I know what's coming. You know, when you migrate a Mac, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen when you yeah. log in. So Fo- photos have Dropbox, to download. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, photos yeah. sync, Dropbox sync, and all that stuff, in my case, was already downloaded, but it's got to, you know, verify it all. Spotlight has to index. And really, for the first hour or two on an Intel Mac notebook, you're going to hear the fans because it's doing all that stuff. Not only did the MacBook Air do all of that way faster than any computer I've ever seen, including my much more expensive Mac Pro, but it wasn't even warm. I mean, you know, feeling around the case, I really couldn't tell that one spot was really warmer than the other hardly at all. It's crazy. I So I put mine together from scratch and I, I just had this like, closet theory i'm going from one processor to another i just want to make sure that i'm not putting a bunch of intel code on my m1 macbook you know i wanted it to kind of reinstall and i know that's probably just me being weird 
but it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun to rebuild a computer anyway once in a while. Yeah. So, so I did it. It took me about three hours, and it was the same thing. Dropbox was largely done. iCloud was l- far along. You know, photos were downloading, and I it like chewed through twenty percent of the battery in three hours, and I was ready to start rocking the computer and getting work done. Yeah, and that's why you're crushing it with all of those tasks. I mean, yeah. if it sounds like we're enthusiastic and excited, it's because we are. I. I'm so impressed. And like you said, and I've repeated this on other shows, I've spread your wisdom. This is the slowest one that we're going to see. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Uh, I was just talking to a friend who does production work and, and she is, you know, looking at this and I told her, wait, you know, six months, they're going to have one that makes this look like, you know, the tortoise uh, because they're, they're just going to, you know, 16 core, who knows what they're going to do when they get to the MacBook Pro, the real MacBook Pro uh, Apple Silicon. and But either way, th- what we have now is a MacBook Air with no fan that competes with basically any Intel MacBook Pro you can buy. Yeah, and and not just like, oh, it's almost as good. It's better and not just faster, but it is a noticeable improvement in usability because it's silent and cool. Well, I, I think if you get like the $3,000 spec'd out 16-inch MacBook Pro, it's multi-core, can beat the MacBook. The, yeah. The $990 MacBook Air. <laughs> but the, uh, sorry, just thinking about it makes me giddy. But the, uh, no, it's great. And the, you know, what we were talking about on the show last week with the way that the apps jump open, I was very cognizant of that. It's like apps just open and things go fast. It's, it really is, uh, I was thinking about this, maybe I'll write a blog post about it, but a lot of people are not super into the iPad. They don't want to figure out how to make an iPad work, but they're probably a little jealous of some of the nice things about the iPad, the long battery life and, and the way the operating system is so jumpy. And this kind of gives you that if you're a Mac person and you've been jealous of, of those features of the iPad, you get it with this Mac. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely had that thought of how iPad-like this is, but I still have Logic and Final Cut and Finder, right? The tools that I use every day. I have the terminal. So yeah, it it really is like Apple has taken the best of iPad hardware and sort of smushed it into the Mac. And that really made me think of when they introduced that that good MacBook Air in 2010. And we've, we've talked about this machine where they did the 13 and the 11-inch, and it was kind of the the good, you know, the good MacBook Air. The first one was yeah. weird and no one needed to buy it. But in that sort of discussion, Steve Jobs and Apple were like, this is like, what if we took the best of the iPad and the best of the Mac and we put them together? This machine is what you would get. And I feel like this is sort of round two of that where yeah. it is so iPad-like in all of the good ways, but it's still the Mac and does the things that I, I want a Mac to do. Well, and also when you think about the fact this thing is crunching through 4K video without breaking a sweat, how many people out there need a computer that's going to do that? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that the MacBook Air now, I mean, we talked about this when they fixed the keyboard last year, that that's now the default Mac. But now this is the default Mac for almost everyone. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just so good. It's so fast. It doesn't get hot. I mean... It's got a nice long battery and you can justify spending more money if you want, but almost anybody who buys this computer is going to have a great computer. Yeah, it's, it really is fantastic. And it means that if you, 
don't need those things, you have headroom and I think longevity for a really long time. Yeah. Now, both of us specced it up. I think I went 16 Mm -hmm. gigs and I specced up the drive a bit. But so I I think those are things that you should do. You're listening to Mac Power Users. You're entitled. Tell them that I gave you permission. Yes. Uh, Why not? I mean, and you're going to hopefully this thing will last a long time. I mean, that, you know, that that we will call it the greatest generation MacBook, the one from 10 years ago. <laughs> we, we had one of those in our house that ran almost, I think, the last year. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. one of these is the same thing. There's almost no moving parts. Uh, the chip just doesn't get hot. I, I was watching um, Joanna Stern do the Wall Street Journal video, and she could, couldn't get it over like 80 degrees. And she was like playing 3D video games and rendering 4K video at the same time on a MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I feel like this thing is going to be, there's, you know, there's, it's just going to be a computer that should be very reliable because, you know, the things that kill computers in the long run is usually heat. This thing just doesn't mm-hmm. get hot. Yeah. What What's cool too is I, I don't have a um, M1 MacBook Pro. I ordered the MacBook Air for Mary, but this is where I confess to you that I've ordered a M1 MacBook Pro. Okay, so I'm going to sell my 16 inch. Um, <laughs> You're in. I'm willing to go down in. in size. I'm I'm so impressed with this. But what's been really cool uh, hearing from other people who who do have the Pro, like Jason Snell and Mike Hurley bought one, is that the Pro doesn't really ever spin up that fan. It has a single fan, and it either turns so slowly you can't hear it or it's off. And in Joanna's video, and there's a link to that in the show notes. And by the way, Joanna makes the best tech review videos. Like I love the stuff that she does, but she's having to murder the machine to get it to make any noise. Whereas some of the Intel machines, it's like you just open the wrong tab and you've got fan noise. Oh, you were talking about Mary's just teaching class and the fan is louder than her voice. Yeah. Yeah. It really bothers her. So all of my nerd friends are going with the M1 MacBook Pro. I'm happy with the Air. What what made you decide with the Pro over the Air? It was the the additional battery life. Even though the battery life on the Air is fantastic, I would like a little bit more than that. And, um, and I figured so much of my of my work is long sustained stuff, right? It's volume matching audio or bouncing things in Logic. And if there's any difference between the Air and the Pro, I feel like I would be able to to hit that. And so uh, I opted for the Pro for that reason. It won't be a machine that I hold on to forever. The two-port thing really is a stretch for me, especially when we're doing live stuff out on the road. But we're not doing that right now. And it means that, you know, around the house, I can have a small notebook and that has incredible battery life. And, you know, we'll see what what comes out next. Um, the good thing is I have a lot of people in my in my family who are like kind of in line for a Mac. And so yeah. I feel like I've got people to uh to pawn machines off on, you know, as I as I upgrade. Oh no, I totally agree. I I think the MacBook Air is fine for me because like I said, it I is. do my heavy duty work on the iMac Pro, which is still in the shop, by the way. I spent a half hour oh, on man. the phone with Apple Day. It is it is killing me. I'm getting e- so many emails every day. People saying, where's the paperless field guide? I'm like, I really need something to finish it. And it's not here yet. Anyway. Um, mm. So I, I feel like I made the right decision for myself with the air. It's like the air is just crushing it on anything I yeah. want to do. Um, so a couple differences. One is that the MacBook pro is slightly brighter. I can tell mm-hmm. you that I've got my MacBook Air at like maybe 60% brightness and it's way bright enough for me. 
so I'm not really missing the nits. Um, the, uh, the sound is fine. I do dictation on the MacBook Air, and the microphone array is fine for that. I would never record a podcast even on the fancy microphones they put in the MacBook Pro. So no, um, I feel like it's kind of the right decision for me. Uh, I know a lot of people think it's a benefit that the MacBook Air does not have the touchscreen. To me, it's a little bit of detriment. I can the touchscreen has kind of grown on me a little bit. I've been customizing uh, touch it. Bar? Yeah, I'm sorry, touch bar. Get to the touchscreen in a minute. Um, but the um, <laughs> what touchscreen? <laughs> the, the touch bar. I know everybody. It's really great to hate it because everybody does. But I actually think you can make it work for you with a little work. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it's fine with the buttons. So, yeah. I haven't talked about this yet, but you know, I, I've talked about how I bought a Stream Deck, and one of the things I'm doing with it is I have a row of buttons on it for each of my podcasts, and those fire a keyboard maestro to open a Safari window with, with all the tabs that I need to yeah. prep for that show. Yeah. And I like having that on the notebook and with the touch bar, I've been able to repurpose a bunch of that stuff and have it available to me anywhere. Yeah. Just using and, better touch tool or yeah, yeah. Using better touch tool. Yeah. And so being able to customize it more, and we did a big episode on better touch tool a while back, but being able to customize it more. Um, I don't know if, if, the MacBook Air would have been fine for me. Um, all of the reasons I went to the Pro were were pretty thin, but and I, and I could totally get by without the Touch Bar. But the other reason I went to the Pro is that it does have it. And even though I don't necessarily love the Touch Bar, it is more useful to me the more I customize it. And it's it's one of those things, and you know you can roll your eyes at this or not, but I feel like I need to understand what Apple's technology is doing and the touch bar for better or worse is a big part of the notebook line. And so I did want a machine, you know, kind of in the studio that has, that has a touch bar on it. So yeah, there you go. I also think, and you made reference to this earlier, uh, this is the very first M1 or the very first Apple Silicon Mac. And I feel like that as great as this computer is, there's a bunch of things that need to happen still. And what we're going to talk about iPhone and iPad apps in a minute. I'm curious to hear your take. You and I haven't talked about this offline at all, but in my opinion, we need a touch screen on these computers if we're going to have iPhone and iPad apps. And it's just obvious having used it for a day that that's a, that's a miss. And then we've got all that other stuff on that silicon, like face ID and some of these other cool features mm -hmm. that we get on iPad that aren't here. I feel like there is a redesign, you know, maybe it's a year or two down the road, but there's a redesign where these computers are going to really take advantage of all of that stuff. And so I, I feel like this MacBook Air is a bit of a holding computer for me. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I know that sounds terrible to say I bought it and I already realized I'm going to sell it or give it to the kids and sell one of theirs in a few years. But I think that's just a question of time. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people in the Mac community who push back against that, that they, do, that they don't want touch on the Mac. I just don't understand that. The Mac will continue to be a primarily keyboard and trackpad mouse system, right? I mean, even if we say, okay, Big Sur looks like it's made for touch. The truth is a lot of Big Sur isn't. Like open some system preference panes. A lot of that stuff is still really tiny. And if you look at the way touch works on Windows, it is secondary. You're still bebopping around with a cursor and a keyboard, and then you can reach up to scroll or tap something if you want to. And I think that sort of secondary level input 
that's where touch belongs on the Mac. And, you know, the iOS apps are, we can talk about it. They're, they're fine, but especially with some of the games, Apple's had to really kind of reach around their elbow to get around the fact that there's not a touch screen. And at this point, it feels just like they are ignoring the writing on the wall, that this is how computers work now. What that looks like on the desktops, I don't know. That's not my problem to solve. But I think especially on the notebooks, it's it's overdue. And I agree with you that I think these early Apple Silicon Macs, at least the ones we have right now, you know, they're definitely due for some more technology. But on the other hand, these are the entry-level models. So what if the you know, 16 inch or the better 13 inch. What if the touch bar shows up sooner than a couple years? I don't know. Yeah. But I agree with you that I think it's, I think it's time. And, you know, Apple says, Oh, we, we talked about it earlier in this episode that, Oh, you know, Apple says it's not how they view big Sur or whatever. Well, I mean, Apple says stuff like negative things about things they're planning, right? No one wants to watch video on an iPod. Boom. Nine months later, there's an iPod that plays video, right? So I, I think they've got to do it, man. I think they got to. Yeah, and before you light me up on Twitter or email, the uh, what I'm thinking is not a touch-based operating system, but a touch-friendly operating system. You know, why can't you just you know select a menu item, move a slider, or run an iPhone and iPad app by touching your screen? I don't think I would use it a lot, but I think having it there makes a lot of sense as I'm loading iPad and iPhone apps onto my device. Yeah, I mean, as we're talking, I've got Overcast loaded up on this MacBook Air. And, you know, it's not a Catalyst app. <laughs> uh, the text is all kind of small. But it, it's responsive. And, you know, you can you can rearrange it a little bit. It goes to, all the way down to the iPhone size if you go narrow enough. But you're doing a lot of two-finger gestures to move around. And I just want to reach up and touch it. Like, I, it's breaking my brain that I can't do that. And I think that if iOS apps are really going to be successful on this platform, I think that the cursor is, it's just not enough. Yeah. My favorite um, that I've been running is dark noise. You know, it's just a simple noise making app, but there's never been a good one on the Mac for whatever reason. Nobody ever bothered to make one very easy to trigger it with the mouse. And I'm really not running that many iOS apps. The, The stuff that I run on iPad, I usually has a Mac version already. And I'd rather use the Mac version on the Mac, but they're out there and it, it's a nice additional feature, but I think the real story here is here's a Mac that doesn't get hot, runs three times as fast as pretty much anything you can own and is going to double the battery life. I mean, <laughs> just, I mean, I, this is going to be a big deal. I, I totally agree. This is the the dawn of a new era and it's super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just such a fun time to be making the Mac power users because we get to watch all this happen. Somebody told me I'm being too mean to you about your Mac Pro. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I don't think I was that mean to him. But but I do no. think that, that this, you know, the Mac Pro is like this stake in the ground, the ultimate performance of an Intel chip, and it's just scary how fast everything is catching up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I'm looking at these single core numbers. I'm like, oh, no. But um, it's still night and day, you know, multi-core and video in particular. So, you know, I bought the Mac Pro. We we all assumed this was coming, right? And in in my, even though I use a laptop to like do shows on the road and I need to be good for that, my, my bread and butter is here at my desk. 
on this production yeah. machine that's not running Big Sur anytime soon. Yeah. And I would rather have for work the last great machine of a of an era than the first new one. And I bought this Mac Pro and spent a lot of money. It's it was an ex, you know by far the most expensive computer purchase I've ever made. Knowing that this was going to last me for years and years, and and really my plan, it's so fast and it meets my needs so well, is to to run this until I can't, and until I can't anymore, and then transition to whatever Apple has with Apple Silicon. And I, I wrote the person back who gave me a hard time about this. I said, but the, also you can't put an array of drives inside of MacBook Air, and like yeah. it's just like too, it's it really is like trying to compare a, a Volkswagen bug to a diesel truck i mean they just are such different devices and they solve such different problems but you know there will be at some point an imac that's going to make this macbook air look like a you know a snail and hopefully ultimately there'll be some form of a mac pro that does the same thing and man just think about the rest of the industry i mean not only is apple eclipsing its own intel chips it's eclipsing everybody yeah, when Apple says it's faster than 98% of PCs or whatever, whatever that number was, uh, that includes some Macs. <laughs> it yeah. includes a bunch of Macs. Yeah. Yeah, well, really, I think it's faster than all Mac laptops except a fully specced 16-inch MacBook Pro. But uh, don't quote me on that, but just from what I've seen of the benchmark so far. And then th- that's the other problem is the benchmarks. Everybody says, well, look at the benchmark. But this is that benchmark is misleading to Apple's detriment because the other thing they've done is they've built in all these special subroutines into this chip where you look at the way that it encodes video, it's got its own encoding algorithm built into the chip. So it goes way faster than that benchmark would reflect. Yeah. You know, these are much are much more than the benchmark. It's, it's to me so much about the experience that it's really quiet or even silent that the battery life is unlike anything we've seen on a Mac portable before. You've got to put all that together. And the the benchmarks, while they're a good gauge of sort of that raw performance, it doesn't tell the full 3D picture. And, you know, that's why I've got one here. So I can help explain that to people and talk about it. So, yeah, yeah I think they've they've absolutely knocked it out of the park on round one. And that just makes me all the more excited for round two. All right. So if you're at home listening, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a enthusiast, crazy person like me and Steven, uh, you got to get one of these. It is just such a, I mean, I don't, it reminds me of like the first time I got an SSD or when I was a kid, the first time I went from floppy to hard drive, it's just like such a, you know, just such a night and day difference in performance. Um, if you're an enthusiast though, you probably are also thinking you're going to get a couple of them over the next few years because they're going to just continue to get better. If mm-hmm. you're, if you're more logical, then you just got to stop and think about what do you need? If you are currently someone who need, needs a low end MacBook like a MacBook air or the low end MacBook pro get on board. Now, this is great. You know, Apple will buy back your machine. You might as well take advantage of it. If you're somebody who needs something more powerful, I think if you wait six months to a year, there's going to be something that's even better for you. Totally. If this isn't for you, that's fine. There's something coming that, that will be. Yeah. It's easy to spend other people's money, isn't it? It's great. <laughs> All right. So that's it for now. You're going to hear a lot more about these Macs going into the future. Uh, Steve and I are both excited. I think we all are. And uh, congratulations to Apple 
on finally building the whole widget. I bet this was something they thought about a long time ago and they've made it happen. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Indeed, Pingdom, and Woven. We'll see you next week.